man, I was just messing around trying to set up for a small group session on Saturday morning, February the 1st, 2013, getting all kinds of things ready. And all of a sudden, there was a sonic boom, just uh, like uh, many of you heard jets fly over, over your head. It was pretty loud, a little louder than normal. I thought, man, maybe some of these cats from Barksdale Air Force Base are just trying to wake everybody up. But uh, little did I know in a few minutes, somebody came into the fellowship hall at the East Texas church where I was standing and said, Pastor, Pastor, have you heard the Columbia Space Shuttle has blown up right over East Texas? Seven people dead. And debris is scattered everywhere. Over the next couple of weeks, farmers, ranchers, military men, National Guard began to comb East Texas, especially down there around Lufkin, Huntington, San Augustine. They found some really, really large pieces of a space shuttle that was returning. Seven astronauts lost their lives. And uh, we were just all taken back and immediately America began to clamor. Well, well, what happened? (laughs) I mean, you're entering Earth's atmosphere on the last leg on the way home. Of all the things, what? how could seven people die after going all the way into outer space, staying out there all this time, coming back, getting that close to home? What exactly happened? And over the, in about four days, NASA released some pictures that, at least for many of us, will forever be indebtable. I mean, they are welded in our, in our minds. NASA took a, just a small, fine circle. Just shortly after takeoff of Space Shuttle Columbia, and they circled just a small piece of fragment, just a small, insignificant piece of debris that had broken off of one of the tile portions of the outside, and it had flown back and it had struck another piece of tile that was a heat shield under one of the wings. And that did not go unnoticed. Upon takeoff, NASA saw it, flagged it, and the best engineers that we had at that day and time said, you know what, it's no big deal, no need to have them come back. Too small, too insignificant to make any difference. Well, man, were they wrong. And today I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles because we have the opportunity before us today to see a similar situation by a at least on the surface, an insignificant small transgression that took place. And I'm telling you, it put several million people's lives at stake. In fact, over 30 Hebrew men died because of one simple transaction. Grab your Bibles. Joshua chapter number 7. We're going to begin reading in just a moment. I may have to do the cliff note version because uh, time gets away from us. But uh, as we're looking today at Joshua 7, let me just issue a little bit of a warning. We have incredible victories in Joshua 6 and Joshua 8. In Joshua 8, this small farm village called Ai is overcome. No big deal. But over there in chapter 6, we were just walking out last week of this incredible, maybe the greatest military victory in all of the Canaan exploration, that of the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And if you'll remember, and I hope you do, at least you gifted and talented students will remember, hey, we had uh, one instruction. 
really two instructions. God says, put all of these valuable items into the Lord's treasury. Everything else, get rid of. I don't want you to take an ear of corn. I don't want you to take a bucket of grain. I don't want you to take a garment. I, I, I don't want you having any of their donkeys, oxen, horses, llamas, whatever they got in the village, you kill it all. You kill every human being except those under the red cord of Rahab's home. You, I, mean, I mean, you put them all to death. You get rid of all of it. Don't plunder any of it. And that was God's instruction. Here's how it's termed in King James and Revised. That's under the band. That's under God's band. In other words, don't touch it. And so we have that going in to chapter number seven. And when we get to chapter number seven, it's interesting because the very first word in the English Bible is the word but. Man, should I, I better not wander there. How many times does a young person come home at night, say, hey, I made incredible grades, mom, dad, got my report card, but had a wreck tonight, tore up the back end of the car. There's always kind of a bud, isn't there? And so as a reader, we know immediately, hey, something big is coming. I used to be a big Jaws fan. How many of you watch Jaws? Hey, I mean, how many times can you watch a mechanical shark eat people? You know what I'm saying? So finally, I just stopped watching, closed my eyes, and I can always tell when someone's about to be eaten. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, all you have to do is listen to the music. And so the music of the Word of God tells us with that very first word what's going to happen. But let me give you some warning. Here's some things we're not going to find out because in chapter 7, the whole nation of, Hebrew, of, of, uh, the whole nation of Hebrews is about to be defeated. We're not going to be told how the battle was fought. We're not going to be told how the battle was lost. All we're going to be told is why there was such a humiliating uh, uh, I mean, defeat. I mean, that's all we're going to be instructed on. That's the only thing. Now, right, here we go. Grab your Bibles. I may cliff note it a little bit just for the sake of time because I ran over. Josh Thomas is mad at me because I cut into his four minutes of dressing time. Josh changed his clothes before this service. Me... You get the same stinking clothes the first hour as you do the second. You know what I'm saying? Here we go. But the Israelites, are y'all going to be hard-nosed on me today? I'm going to wear you out if you don't liven up in here, all right? Here we go. But the Israelites, oh, that's a challenge, isn't it? But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to devoted things, Achan. And it gives a whole description. Okay, you want to see if I can enunciate him. I got you. Achan, the son of, of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Can I take a bow now? Okay, thank you. Now Joshua. Now here's the, here's the military instruction. Notice something different. Joshua sent the men from Jericho to Ai to do what? To check things out. Go up and spy. Look in verse number two on the region. That's different from the battle of Jericho. Why? Because we saw reconnaissance being done out on the battlefield by Joshua himself. Now he's sending somebody. Just a little red flag for you as your Bible students to be thinking about. Look in verse three. When they returned to Joshua, they said, hey, all the army's not going to have to go up against Ai. In fact, let's just send two or 3,000 men to take it. No need to, to weary. That's how the NIV translates this. No need to weary the whole army. We don't need to bother them with this little old farm village for only a few people live there. It's no big deal. So about 3,000 went up and they were routed. They were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. 
They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarry, struck them down on the slopes. And at this, look at this statement, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Are you kidding me? The walls of Jericho, the most impressive city in this whole area of Canaan. Walls, double walls, just came tumbling down. The city put to the sword by the Lord and his followers. And now we got a farm village that we can't even take. In fact, it's not just any farm village. It's a farm village of Ai that kills 36 Hebrew warriors. Verse number six, and Joshua tore his clothes. Look at his reaction, face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till even. Hey, it wasn't just him, wasn't it? The Bible goes on to say the elders, they did the same. They sprinkled dust on their heads. We know that's a symbol of what? Mourning, not M-O-R-N, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mourning, funeral. Oh, wailing, weeping. And Joshua said, alas, I'll come back to that word a little later in our message, sovereign Lord. Why did you ever bring these, these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your service, servant, Lord. I mean, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country? They're going to hear about this, and they're going to surround us, and they're going to wipe out uh, our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, I'm in verse 11. They violated my covenant, which I've commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they've lied, and, and they have put them with their own possessions. Back to that in a moment. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for the Lord. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, of you, Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Look in verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. And thus God's call to them, tribe by tribe, family by family. Look at the end of verse uh, 14, man by man. Whoever caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that he belongs, that all belongs to him. He's violated the covenant of the Lord. He's done this outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, verse 16, Joshua and Israel came forward tribe by tribe. Judah was chosen. Judah. The clans of Judah came forward. There they are, the Zerathites. The Zerathites, the families. Zimri, the family of Zimri was chosen. Then person by person, Joshua had the family come, and there was old Achan. And he said, Achan, son of Zerah, son of Zimri, the tribe of Judah, you're chosen. And, and then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. What, tell me what you've done, and do not hide it from me. Look in verse 20, and Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done when I saw in the plunder of the beautiful robe of Babylonia. Some of you have this a region. You have it even more fine in your translation. Not Babylonia, but Shinar. 200 shekels of silver. An eaglet and bar, in other words, of, of gold weighing 50 shekels. Pretty big hunk of gold. I coveted them and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Then Joshua sent messengers 
They ran to his tent. There it was, hidden, hidden right there. And, and there it was, the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites spread them out before the Lord. Verse 24, then Joshua together with all the Israel too, the son of Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, the daughters, the cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, they took them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you. And then all the Israelites stoned him. And after, they stoned the rest. And then they burned them. <laughs> I guess killing him and stoning him wasn't enough. They burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. I hope you'll just jot down three or four little things today that are so very important. I want to talk to you heart to heart today about disobedience. This is not a pleasant chapter, but I suggest to you it's going to end well. But we've got to work through these verses today and deal with some things, not just historically, biblically in the lives of these Israelites, but I'm going to ask if the Holy Spirit will deal with each one of you individually, just as he has with my own heart about transgressions and disobedience in your life. Very few of us could come today perfectly clean, consecrated and sanctified before the Lord and call ourselves sinless. We all are either in transgressions, have been in transgressions, and unfortunately may be in transgressions. And so today I'm just going to offer up three or four spiritual principles. Some, one of those I think may be the very first time any of you have ever seen this or maybe any Bible teacher has ever offered it up to you as so, solid, theological, scriptural foundation for your life. Let's start with what we're calling in this series spiritual steps or spiritual strides. If you and I were walking down the road, when my, Becky and I walked together, my stride is almost two times as long as her stride. She has little bitty baby legs. I have granddaddy long legs. And so she gets after me. She says, it's not fair. Your, your stride's much longer than mine. But I said, yes, but it takes more energy. She says, I don't buy that. Slow down. But I want to offer you, and I want you to jot this down, small transgressions, and I put that in quotes. Small transgressions, and this is significant, can bring the termination of God's blessing. Do you understand what I just said? Some of you may live much of your spiritual lives in defeat because God's not going to bless a life full of transgression. He's just not going to do it. We have that principle introduced to us here by a whole nation. A nation that was following what the Lord said, take the Ark of the Covenant into Jordan, I'll dry it up, you can cross over, and they did. Pile up stones at Gilgal, make a monument for me, I want people in future generations to know what I did here, and they did. March around that city of Jericho, one time on these days, seven times on the last day, and these walls will come tumbling down, and they did. And then God said, hey, don't take anything from that city. Not one of you. And they did not. One man 
by the name of Achan, walking through the rubble of that city of Jericho, saw this beautiful, evidently, kingship robe. Scholars say it probably got there one of two ways all the way from Babylonia, the region of Shinar. Either the king of that region in Babylonia sent it, gave it as as an offering to the king of Jericho, or maybe the king of Jericho sent an entourage there to buy and bring it back. But regardless, the garment was too, too beautiful for Achan to destroy. So quietly, while they were cleaning up all the things in that rubble that God had told them to clean up, somehow Achan got his hand on that garment. And then evidently near that, some silver and some gold. And the Bible says something happened in his heart. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he took it. Now, he didn't take it outside of town and bury it. He didn't take it back down to Gilgal somewhere and take a shovel and say, hey, 10 years from now when all this is settled, I'll come back and I'll be a rich man. Oh, no, no, no. He took it to his own tent there where his family was. Put it there at the center point of his tent and buried it there. And that's significant. Now, with that spiritual stride, I'm going to give you three things. I want you to jot them down. We've got to move in a hurry because this thing will start blinking red on me here in just a minute. We've got to hurry. Number one, let me talk to you about disobedience. Number one, always remember this. Disobedience impairs discernment. Boy, if you don't remember anything else today, let me just suggest to you, if you could just remember this. Disobedience in our lives, it does something to us. It impairs our judgment. In fact, sin has an effect on how you and I think. That's why the Word of God says, Lean not into your own understanding, but what? But in all thy ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge the Lord. Why? Because it's He, it's He alone that should direct your paths. You see, I can't trust Michael Cook's judgment. When it comes to what our church needs to do, our important life-changing decisions, I can't trust myself. God has done, I mean, Satan has done too big a, a, a thing in my life through sin. Sin can cause me to make decisions that, that God has given me certain responsibilities, and I've got to guard against that. That's why the nature in my life, the real job, the, the real serving that God's called me to do, my thinking, my judgment, I've got to get before the Lord and His thinking. Because in Him and Him alone is the only place that I'm really going to find the true righteous answer to that which I'm seeking. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold statement right there. If you're here today and you're a student, there are three big things going on in your life right now. Your grades, your changing bodies, your desires, and your family. Those three things are big issues in your life right now. Let me just tell you something. When you and I are trying to make the proper decisions at any juncture of life, you be very careful. Because when disobedience and sin creep into our life, it does something to us up here. In our dating relationships, it's the old love word, isn't it? He says, he tells her, oh, I love you. That makes it all right, doesn't it? 
And you know what? We, we flitter and we flock and everything's all right. No, it's not all right. But you see, disobedience and sin in our lives does something to our thinking. We begin to lose our ability to discern, to process that spiritual, if you will, thermometer, that spiritual compass in our lives. Our emotions we can't trust. Our own judgment we can't trust. Now, let me just share with you a couple of interesting things here as we look at these incredible verses. We, we pick up a new name here in this whole journey of Canaan and the promised land. We pick up the name Achan. Where did that guy come from? <laughs> Out of nowhere. By the way, maybe just in the margin, if you're taking notes today, Achan means troubler. The closest word in the English language that you and I can put on Achan and what his name meant, troubler. We've got two or three amazing babies, especially in this little section over here, and uh, they're with us today, and if they cry, we'll know they're Baptist here shortly. And, uh, you, you know, incredible newborns. We've got five or six of those running around, and that's one way to grow a church, biologically. Amen? Say amen. And, and uh, you, you know, I, I was just thinking, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, what must the augers do to name their daughter Achan. I mean, how bad a baby do you have to be for your mother to name you Trouble? Put your thinking cap on, think about that, Troubler. By the way, while we're on it, another little tidbit here, no charge to you, AI. You know what the word AI, that city name means? Pile of ruins. Can you imagine being from AI? Hey. What are y'all known for? Well, we're just a pile of ruins. It's interesting, isn't it? And then there's a third little word here that's important to us. That's the word Judah. Achan, Mr. Trouble, gets, gets the whole nation of Israel involved in a pile of ruins. And of all things, where is Achan from? Judah. You know, I would be the only one crazy enough to ask this question. You know, Judah is one of the premier top-tier 12 tribes. You've got Levi, Levitical, the priests, the preacher boys. There's your ETB home right there. I mean, that's the affluent ones, the preacher boys running around campus. But right behind that's Judah. You know Judah, the one that got the land in the promised land with Bethlehem and Jerusalem in it? Yeah, that one. Yeah, you know Judah, the tribe that all the kings had to be from Judah. Oh, and man, here's the caveat of all, all caveats. Hey, who's going to come from the tribe of Judah? The Messiah. Jesus himself will come from that tribe. I've often wondered, do you think, oh, Achan just thought, hey, I'm from a prominent family. I'm from the tribe of Judah. It won't be that big deal if I take this garment, if I take a few silver coins, if I take this wedge of gold, bury it, nobody will ever care. And by the way, those rules really apply more to those archers down there in the tribe of Benjamin than us. I had a lady a few weeks ago that was visiting from out of town. After church, we were in that combined service at our deacon ordination. She came up to me. I'd never seen a lady before. She looked at me and she says, how are you, pastor? I said, I'm just fine. And my wife has trained me. If I don't know who it is, I don't say I don't know who it is. I just act like I know who it is. And uh, thankfully, she didn't ask me her name. She just said, do you know who I am? And and. I did. She was a nice lady in our service. And so I said, yes, I know who you are. And, and she says, no, I don't think you do. I'm the daughter of one of the founding members here at Oakland Heights. And I wanted to go, mm, 
You ever been around some of those people that think they're entitled? Mr. Entitled, Muhammad Ali, Sting Like a Bee, the great boxer. Remember that incredible story about him? He always felt like he was a big timer. Got on the airplane one time, flight was about to take off. They said, fashion your seatbelts. Ali wouldn't put his seatbelt on. Flight attendant walks down the road and says, Mr. Ali, you're going to have to fasten your seatbelt. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The attendant looked back at him and she said, Mr. Ali, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle up. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Well, I'm in the Oakland Heights youth group. That makes me exempt from the rules. I'm a daddy's girl. My dad's a doctor here. You know, there's all kinds of exemptions. And I just wonder, something must have been going on in Aiken's mind. I'm telling you, disobedience, it always does something to our discernment. You won't know him because he's too far back in history, but Lloyd Frank Wright was uh, a great American architect, born in the late 1800s, died in the 1960s. But around 1930, 1940, he has four kids, and he just ups and leaves his wife. Evidently, no marital problems. He just wanted a younger woman. And back in the 1940s, you just didn't do that. I mean, it's no big deal today. Marriage is, well, it's kind of an afterthought in so many circles, unfortunately. Anyway, Frank Lloyd Wright takes his... Uh, his, his, his new young wife, and they have to go overseas. People just drive him out of America. His business begins to dry up. Anyway, they interview him from one of these European countries, and I just went ahead and wrote the quote down because I'll, it's just a staggering thought. The reporter asked this famous American architect, you know, why would you do that to your wife and to your kids? And Wright made this statement, and I quote, in the interview, he says, there are normal absolutes that are right for most men, but they are not true for me. I'm telling you, discernment to something, it, it, it goes somewhere in the midst of disobedience. For some reason, we're not able to register and think through in fact, in verse number 20, you begin to see this. He gives an admission that he did it, didn't he? Notice, I really wouldn't call it a confession. By the way, there is a difference between admission and confession. I mean, a confession is repentance. I mean, a confession is I did it and I'm brokenhearted and I can't believe that I did that and I don't know how I can ever repay. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me kind of moment. And, and admission is, yes, that's a fact. I did it. And, and uh, you say, well, but, 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 but Pastor, it says that he sinned and he knows it's wrong. Well, I'll let you wrestle with that. Is that an admission or a confession? But as you get down to verse 21, look at those four steps of that operation of what he did. Look at it. I think you know it. I, I, I saw. He says in verse 21, I, I saw the plunder. There it was in the rubble. I mean, I opened up that big trunk and I couldn't believe the beauty that I had to have it. I couldn't believe when I saw that silver. I've never held that much silver. When, when I saw that big wedge, that big eaglet of, 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 of gold, I, I mean, I had to have it. That's, that's what scares me about our culture today with all these screens. We have to have massive screens. We have to have the phones with the best screens. I get into my vehicle and there's a screen. It tells me where to go. People talk to me out of that screen. Our young people, 
Their whole lives are spent around screens. The Bible tells us so often the downfall always starts with what? The eyes. That's why the young ladies around here, when we try to talk about swim parties and how you dress, be careful. How you dress is not about your privilege, it's about protecting the life of someone else spiritually. I saw. But did you see the second thing there in verse 21? I coveted. Hey, by the way, how long's that word, how long's it been since you used that word? Have you used that word in the last week? Coveted? Hey, I coveted. I coveted in my neighbor's grade. I coveted my neighbor's car. Have you have you used that word in the last month? Six months? Maybe in a small group lesson, Bible study somewhere. Hey, by the way, it did make God's top ten. It is the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet. But we don't talk about it because our culture is so vested in this. That's what advertising is all about. It coerces you to want. It brings to you in screen form that temptation, that desire. I want that. I need that. By the way, coveting is not just wanting. Coveting is going a step further. It is disregarding the feelings and the rights of others. And did you, did you notice in verse 21, I saw, I coveted, I took. In fact, in verse 21 it says, I coveted them, I took them. Word for word from the Bible, I took them. Now it dominates Achan. He has to have it. Amazing. Disobedience. I'm telling you, it does something to your discernment. And then look at the end of verse 21. That's the fourth step. He says, and then I hid it in the ground. I hid it. Middle of my tent. By the way, sin's never done alone. Now he's got his family pulled into this. He drags in the whole family. And by the way, it's not the point that it's there inside his tent, the center of his tent. It's, it's, it's really the point that it's in the center of his life. Financially, what does he get? 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold, at least that block of gold that's of apparent value. Some say it's worth $25,000, $30,000. But that's the financial part. But what I can't really figure out is the material part. Why would you want a robe from Shinar? I taught you last week that, a couple weeks ago, the Word of God did, that the, many of the clothes that they're wearing are 40 years old. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out for all this period of time. God made it where they would last. Now I ask you, a poor Hebrew, what is he going to do with a Versace robe? <laughs> Have you ever stopped to think about that? Where is this dude going to wear that? I mean, what good is it going to be to him? That's why I suggest to you, disobedience, it does something to your discernment. I just want to show you this and we've got to move on. Verse 11. Go back. I just want you to see this phrase. I marked it in my Bible. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant. I'm in verse 11, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They've lied. And, and, and then here's the heartbreak. I know I see weird things. I don't know how and why, but I do. It's, look, look at it. They put them with their own possessions. You, you see what he did to God? I mean, again, I mentioned earlier, he didn't take it out and bury it somewhere. Oh, no, no, no. He put it with his own things. 
Now here's your question, your homework. How many Christians every week spend what is God's as if it was their very own? How many of us take what's supposed to be the Lord's and we put it with ours and treat it like it's our very own. We've got to move on. I have more, but no time. Number two, we talked about now the spiritual stride here is what you may think are small things. They can sever, they can terminate God's blessing. That's the overarching stride here. And there's some little things we're building under that. First of all, discernment. Discernment begins to be very hindered. Second thing, let's jot it down. Disobedience breeds discouragement. Now, I thought about that middle verb action word, and that's pretty descriptive right there. I'm telling you, disobedience breeds discouragement. Did you notice that 36 men, when we read the text, 36 men died because of the disobedience of one man, Achan's disobedience, his sin in their life. Now, I'll tell you what's overwhelming here, and that is Joshua's demeanor. We'll talk about that as we go along. But the contingency here is that God is, what's laid out before us is that God is asking a whole nation to do something. Joshua, tell the people, no one is to do this. I mean, the Levitical guys, whatever they're going to put in the Lord's treasury, that's one thing. But for their personal gain, zero. The people from Judah, no. Benjamin, no. I mean, every tribe right down the line, no one is to take this. And of all of us, all the people, one from Judah, the tribe of Judah, Achan. Now, I want to give you a second stride here. That's important, and I mentioned to you when we started our teaching time today, some of you have never been exposed to this. This will be your first time. So let's jot it down. Be sure you understand it. In the body of Christ, all suffer for one. People ask me all the time about this. Now, Pastor, why would they beat Achan's wife to death with rocks? And burn her up because her husband brought a robe and some silver and gold and hid it under their tent. She didn't do nothing. What about Aiken's kids? I mean, how can a nine year old, a 10 year old, a 13 year old, a newborn baby, however old these kids were, all of the offspring of his house, how can they be punished because of this? That's not fair. Oh, and I can't believe this, Pastor. His donkeys. A donkey? That old donkey's out there going, hee-haw, hee-haw. He doesn't know anything about some robe from Shinar, from Babylonia. And, and I mean, he's going under the sword. I mean, I mean, think about this for just a moment. Pastor, that's not fair. Now, here's your spiritual truth. In the body of Christ, you and I, whether we like it or not, and in East Texas, whoo, they didn't like this the first hour. I could tell. They did the old stanky thing. 
they were snorting up at me. I saw them back here, especially my rednecks with boots on at the back, boy. Boy, I saw old hair raised up on their neck. I ain't going to be blamed for something somebody else didn't do. Okay, big boy. <laughs> All I'm telling you is what the Bible says. Honk if you want. But here's the spiritual truth. What you and I do inside the body of Christ, we're all going to be accountable for each other's actions. I don't like that. I don't necessarily like that. I don't like it. I, I, I go out here for a moment. Here's an old guy back here. I'm just going to pick him out of the crowd. Here he is. Look at him. He's waking up. He knows I'm coming to him. I've already asked if I could use him, by the way. Here's Mr. Pugh right here, okay? Mr. Pugh, I'm going to stand right here behind you because I like your haircut. Yep, looks like yours. <laughs> actually, actually, I have a little more hair than you do, but we won't get into that. You take Mr. Pugh here. Let's just say Mr. Pugh makes a poor decision. Let's say after the service today, he goes back over here to one of these offering boxes. And uh, band's cleaning up. Everybody's in a hurry to go to lunch. He kind of looks at it, there's a piece of gum there. Somebody stuck a piece of gum on top of the offering box. He's kind of looking around there. He takes his phone and he turns the light on and he shines it down in that box. And there's some cash down in there. And Mr. Pugh says, hmm, well, four kids... So he takes the light and he shines it down in there again and he looks, it's a 50. Somebody has dropped a $50 bill down in the offering box. Must be a guest. Nobody around here would do that for sure. <laughs> and so uh, he kind of acts like he's tidying up. Next thing, he goes out in the hall, he's carrying that box and he slips, slips back here to the kitchen. You didn't know I was going to tell this, did you? He slips back down here to the kitchen and he gets in there and he gets one of those knives and he pops that lid open on the offering box. And he takes that money. And boy, the pew kids, they, they don't know what to think because dad says, hey, we're going to eat at Pizza Hut today. And they know that's, a, that's like 80, 90 bucks to feed four adolescents. You know what I'm saying? And they say, man, Dad's, he's really in a good mood today. And we might think, well, Officer Webb didn't see him. The church didn't see him. And, and you know, hey, he shouldn't have done that. Do you know we're all accountable? Wait just a second, Pastor. I didn't do that. Your New Testament is very clear about the body of Christ. I stepped on a nail the other day. Luckily, it didn't go all the way through. How many of you ever stepped on a nail before? If, if you step on it good, it's not just your leg, that your foot that hurts, your whole body hurts. You ever had a rotten tooth, a bad tooth, a tooth that's just killing you? Hey, it's not just a tooth that happens. I was watching football yesterday. Right tackle, somebody moves. He just takes just a, just, just a small step ahead of time. Flag goes out. They don't just penalize. Oh, now they'll call his number out. They don't just move him back five yards. They move what? The whole team back. 
So what I want you to start embracing is a very important principle. Every one of us, important. Now, I can see I'm talking to a tough audience today. You're a little tough on me today. I don't care. I'm going to give it right back. Look at the text, verse 1. Achan took. Do you see it in the text? Now look how verse number 1 ends. You look at it with your own eyes. So the Lord's anger, what does your Bible say? It burned against Achan. Is that what your Bible says? It better not be. I think your Bible says, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord was angry with the whole nation. Do you see the principle? Every person. That's why it's such an important thing to us. When Jared sits down and trying to invest in every student. We've got to have every student doing what they need to be in Christ, doing what they need to do to be the small group, the part in the New Testament called youth group, to be what we need to be as a New Testament church. That group has got to be on point. That's why when that choir stands up there in the first service, we need every one of them to be spiritually where they need to be because if, if they're not, we all suffer for that. Your sin, we all suffer for that. Your indifference, sir, ma'am, we all suffer for that. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have negativity. That's why people here, hey, I don't mess with that here. So a lot of people left, absolutely. And a bunch of them needed to leave. A rotten apple will spoil the whole barrel. If you're not happy, don't mully grub here at Oakland Heights. Go over to Moberly. <laughs> they need you over there. We're not going to put up with that here. Why? Because you're a hard-nosed No. I don't want to lose anybody. Too hard to reach people. But sin and negativity and mully-grubbing, man, that's going to cost us all. We're not going to have that here. It's not because it's Michael Cook's place. This is the Lord's body. It's not my body. The Lord just says, here, take his staff and do what you can with these rednecks. Just do what you can with them, Pastor. Well, Lord, this is a big task. Well, that's why it's got a crook on it, Pastor. You may have to use that crook in sometimes. Wow. You mean little old me? I'm just, I, 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 can, hear, I can hear Mr. Peter. Well, I live way up at Orr City. Me taking that $50... Church ain't going to, church, a million dollars a year. It's not going to, oh. Everything destroyed in this city. Out there in that rubble, one man, I'm going to hide this robe. One man, i got to get this silver and gold back to the tent. And it cost them. Now, we talked about disobedience messing up our discernment. 
we've talked about this disobedience and it being really a discouragement. I wish I had time and I don't. But if you ever want to go back and look at the heartbreak that this brought on Joshua, I've never seen Joshua like this and you won't ever see him like this again. Man's down in a funeral march. Here's the man that he and Caleb are going, woohoo, woohoo, we can take this land. Forty years before this, the, he was one of the two upbeat that said that saw the cup. Hey, I don't care if there's giants over there. We'll whomp them, baby. We got the Lord of hosts. And now he's crying out to God. God, after this great victory at Jericho, what in the world? It'll be piranhas. It'll be sharks in the water. They'll come gobble. There's a few million of us. They'll, they'll wipe Israel off the map, Lord. He's brokenhearted. And he's discouraged. So let me tell you something before we move off of this. Before you have a word of sarcasm and criticism, I want you to think about those words. Because your words and your life, they represent all of us. We are in this thing together. Number three, and we're done. Disobedience demands discipline. Disobedience demands discipline. Go over to verse 13. I just show you this. We'll look at the end of the chapter quickly. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That their devoted things among you, Israel, you cannot stand against the enemies until you remove them. God always does one thing when it comes to sin. There's only one way to deal with it, and that's death. Now, before you think, I see what you're telling us, Pastor. If we sin, we're going to die. <laughs> no, well, that's not what I'm telling you. A whole nation survived this. Unfortunately, what are we going to tell those 36 men and their families? Maybe we can send 2020 out there. Maybe we can send a, send a newscast out there and ask that question. Hey, 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 these men died in vain over there at this old farm village. I mean, in fact, they were running away up toward the stone quarry. And these old farmers, these villagers, not just any, AI, people from ruins, just, oh, nobodies, oh, pagans. They killed our men, 36 of them. They embarrassed us. How does God deal with this whole disobedience and sin issue? He always deals with it the same with death. In fact, for us, he had to deal with it with his own son's death. How do you overcome sin? By the way, God's not calling us into some kind of life of remediation. God's not calling us when there's certain disobedience in our lives today to just say, hey, it's no big deal. Just try to do better. Oh, no, no, no. That's not how God deals with this. God deals with it by death. I just wonder if there's someone here today that says, you know, Pastor, my life has been without victory for some time. I would suggest something's wrong. A church not growing, not being effective, not accomplishing the mission that it has for Christ. Let me tell you something. I don't just suggest, I share with you with everything, with openness, something's wrong in that church. And until you and I are willing to offer up the disobedience 
and it be slayed and put to death and rid of in our lives. God will never bless that church or that family or that tribe or that clan or that individual. There's only one way to deal with it. Death. And that's a hard thing to say to people if they're an alcoholic. You've got to be done with that. You can't cut your drinking in half and be half-soused. It's still, well, it's just a little, it's still disobedience. You can't take part of the Lord's offering and buy a boat with it and say, well, I gave a little bit more. No, God's told you what to give. We're not going to debate. God's told you what to give. It's not remediation. It's death. Now, before we close this morning, can I give you some good news? I'm so excited about going from chapter 8 on because it's good news from here. When you come to chapter 8, God is going to tell Joshua, now Joshua, I want you, you're going to lead it, you take the whole army and you go back. You take, now now Joshua, you're not going to stand up there on the hill, up around that stone quarry where those men died and watch. No, no, no. You and all the men you're going to go back. And this time, now that this is dealt with, you're going to see a great, great victory. Can I just share with you, man, that's the heartwarming story for me today. It's a heartwarming story for me because, man, I've got so much stuff and have throughout my life that God's had to deal with. And I have no idea what's in front of me, however long God's going to let me serve and live and breathe. And, and, and in doing so, I know that God, if there's going to be victory, he is waiting for me to slay that, to lay that at his very feet, whatever disobedience it may be. And at that point, God's record is quite complete. He will then take us on to victory. And you know what God said to me? I, t- I told Josh this morning before the first service, I said, Josh, I had to rewrite the whole end of what I was going to share today because at 4.30 this morning, God did something totally different in my heart. He said, I want you to share this. What I love about this is they go back to AI. See, that should help the young lady here that has already made a poor moral choice. Because once that sin is dealt with, God will take you back to a new place. But he'll also take you back to the place you've been before and given you the victory to make a better choice the next time. For someone that has not managed their stewardship well, I didn't do well. I'm not where I need to be. I got great news. Bring that before the Lord and let it be slayed. And God will bring you back, back to the same bank, back to the same salary, back to the same place. And he and he alone can bring the victory, fresh and new, from a place that was first defeat. 
if you're here today and the marriage is not what it needs to be. I just wonder if there's not some things that need to be dealt with there and maybe some things that need to die within that relationship. Some barriers, some hindrances. And when we bring those things before him, our God is gracious. He didn't take the whole nation again as he did out there in the desert. This time, he just took this one family. But all the others had the opportunity to return. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you and thank you and thank you for the moments we've had in your word. Hard-hitting chapter for us today. Fathers, we just kind of process back through, catch our breath. I just thank you that when we make good choices, spirit-filled choices, God choices, when we lean on your understanding and you take us to the places that you want us to be in our soul, in our spirit, in our mind, in our hearts, great things happen. When we lean on our own understanding, we begin to see discernment fails us. Disobedience and discernment. And Father, the discouragement, understanding the principle that we're all in this together. One college student, one young person, one deacon, one pastor, one choir member, one couple. Those things can be devastating for the whole body of Christ. The whole city begins to clamor about it. Did you hear? Did you know? Over here at Oakland Heights Baptist Church. And Father, the words of our Lord, they echo loudly. It wasn't Achan's name, but the Bible says, and the fires burned against Israel. Don't let that stuff, Oakland Heights Baptist Church, don't let it go on inside of your tents and your camp. I just wonder if those men, instead of going and looking at Ai upon the command of Joshua, if Joshua and his leaders had stopped and looked at their own nation first, if someone would have been sensitive enough to say, now, you know, the Lord gave an overwhelming command. Don't take a single thing. We better really search our hearts before we go to the next village, however large or however small it is. We better be sure our house is consecrated before the Lord before we ever try to do battle again. Father, what would it mean if our students would fall on their faces day by day and say, hey, before we attack algebra and before we go to ball practice and before we go to march in the band, before we go to this and before we go to do that, we're going to search our own hearts today. Spirit of God, we, we need to consecrate ourselves before this day ever begins. Because if we're not careful, there can be sin in the camp our entire house, our entire church, the entire body is going to hurt because of it. And Father, finally, thank you for the incredible truth today that we know that disobedience is always about discipline and you'll deal with sin in one way and one way only with death itself. So, Father, in each one of us, allow us to be the vessels that you desire us to be. Clean, cleansed, useful, holy, usable 
available as we offer up ourselves to you today. This is our cry. Bring victory once again to our camp. Bring victory in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes. And Father, we ask these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.